If you like what you hear, come and visit me at youtube.com slash tiptoe the tank and see this content in all its glory. There's another series of events and characters that we must now gift our attention. We leave behind the terrible deeds of Oswell E. Spencer, of James Marcus, of Albert Wesker. Let's return to where it started, Miranda. While Umbrella and Tricell played their games of terror through creation, there was another calamitous storyline playing out in the background. To understand this particular chain of events, we have to go back some time. In the year 2000, two years after the destruction of Raccoon City, Mother Miranda began to work with a furtive syndicate called The Connections. And what makes The Connections so interesting is that it was founded by Brandon Bailey. Do you remember him? He was the assistant to James Marcus in Africa, a head figure in the study of the progenitor virus, and an integral part in the creation of the original T-virus. After the assassination of James Marcus, Brandon Bailey, he just vanished, just to be mentioned in name only some years later as the founder of The Connections. They would help Miranda in her research, provide additional minds and manpower into the situation, even employ a private military contractor called the HCF to do their dirty work. The Connections were given samples of Miranda's mold and of her long-dead daughter's DNA, with the agreement that both would be used in aiding in the resurrection of her. During the wild years of her once pupil, Oswell Spencer, and then the Umbrella Corporation, Miranda walked her own solitary path in the isolation of her village, making strides in the creation of mold-infected subjects, but never truly succeeding in creating that perfect vessel to hold her daughter. But in the hands of the experts at The Connections, brand new types of bioweapons slowly went into testing. What makes this project markedly different from conventional weapons is its ability to turn enemy combatants into allies, converting hostile elements into willing servants. Since this effectively eliminates the cost of not only POW handling, but combat itself, it's no wonder we had the bell and even the chomping at the bit to get on board. The project would never have existed were it not for the discovery of the the remarkably progressed bicariant evolution fungus that we commonly term the mutamycete. The fabrication for each bioweapon was to introduce the mutamycete genome into a pre-stage 4 human embryo and perform cultivation in a controlled environment over a period of 38 to 40 weeks. The first line, the A-type, it performed poorly in a practical setting. Each iteration of the candidate specimens was judged based on usability. And each new version of the molded type was improved upon. And with each new series came a necrotoxin that could kill it because a backup plan is paramount in this wholly warped world. Between the year 2000 and 2014, there were five types of this new mold bioweapon developed, ending with the nigh-perfected E-series. But while the tyrants and the parasites of the world were raining down their terror in supremely violent and undeniable ways, the mold series bioweapons were wholly different and insidious in their designs and methods. A common appearance was selected for the bioweapons, that of a roughly 10-year-old girl to ensure the ease of blending in with urban refugee populations. The first E-series specimens, named Evelyn, has proven capable of secreting the mutamycete cells from her tissue at will. It's also of note that Evelyn's mutamycete imposes a profound control over the body and mind when introduced into a host organism. This weapon, it was not an eight-foot-tall lumbering mass of rage and muscle. The Connections chose a young girl as the visage of their armament, a genetically engineered monstrosity capable of far more than just spreading infection. She was walking mold, capable of producing quantities far in excess of her own body weight if left unchecked. 
but she was not intended to be a massively destructive weapon, she was intended to be subtle in her effects. Evelyn was aged rapidly to appear as a 10-year-old girl. Her health, age, and control over the mold within her was maintained through regular booster shots. So let's discuss for just a moment what an encounter with the girl, Evelyn, what it would be like for her target. Almost immediately after infection, the subject begins to see images of Evelyn, though she's not in fact there, and hear her voice, which is inaudible to anyone else. Evelyn, codename E001, is inclined to want companionship, attention, help. To see a young girl begging for your aid, how could anyone ignore her? But as her grip tightens around her victim, the girl escalates her demands and her destructive behavior. She will even take to harming herself to garner the attentions of and a reaction from her victim, not because she is forced to do so, but because- Because it's in her nature to be this. It's just what she is. The psychological shock this induces helps to break down the mind's natural barriers to Evelyn's brainwashing effect. By the time the mental control is achieved, the mutamycete infection has progressed throughout the body's cells, so the body is work. The E-type weapon was relentless in her pursuit of her goal, being highly manipulative if required to achieve it. It made her nigh unstoppable, but this child, her warped age and her immature mind, perhaps this was a flaw in the planning of the connections. What's been interesting to observe in Evelyn's behavior is her obsession with the concept of family. In experiments, we found multiple occasions the infected subjects were compelled to act as her mother or father, treating her as if she were really their daughter. Why did she settle upon family as a theme for her mental control? This is just speculation, but it could be that she instinctively understands that a family unit is better suited to blending into social groups than a lone girl. In 2014, the Connections became aware that competitors knew of Evelyn's existence, so as not to risk the security of their weapon. In October, transport aboard a large, massive cargo ship called the Annabelle was arranged to smuggle the E-001 into Central America. Selected to accompany Evelyn as her caretakers were Agent Alan Droney and researcher Mia Winters. From the outside, the trio looked like a small family unit that was just getting a ride on a tanker rather than a proper passenger ship out of place, but certainly not the strangest thing in the world. Mia Winters displayed a sort of irritation with the whole thing when sending a video message to her husband, Ethan Winters. She was often away for work, telling her husband that she worked for a trading company of some sort rather than a bioweapon manufacturer. But while in the Gulf of Mexico, the tanker ran into a massive storm, the onset of a hurricane. It's hard to say what exactly set Evelyn off. Whether it was the fear of the swaying ship, the noise of what raged outside, or the excitement of the whole affair. That she began to run amok on the Annabelle. Evelyn slipped away from Alan and Mia and began to vomit mold around the ship, infecting the crew and throwing everything into chaos. Evelyn began to refer to Mia as her mother, and she began to act quite possessively of her, being malicious and cruel to gain her compliance. And when Alan Droney paid the girl an insult in the form of a foul word, Evelyn infected and murdered the man in front of Mia. Then she infected Mia as well with the mold. In the panic of what was taking place, as the E-001 began tearing the massive ship apart, Mia sent her husband a final goodbye, beseeching him to stay away and to move on. The tanker was torn apart in the Gulf of Mexico. The now mold-infected Mia Winters is kept alive by Evelyn. The two of them making it back to land in Louisiana Bayou of Dulve. We don't know what happened on the Annabelle, but we've located Evelyn. Extraction of the E-001 is impossible. She's too far out of control and would never willingly return to our custody. 
All we can do now is handle the situation from afar. So long as she stays on the beach, we can figure this out. The sinking of the Annabelle can be covered up. But will we be able to contain the spread of information when Evelyn starts making plans? What will happen when the mutamycete within her is left unchecked? The chaos of the hurricane making landfall, it kept the Baker family locked down for nigh on a week. When finally it was safe enough to venture out, the patriarch of the family, Jack Baker, took a walk about his lands to gauge the damage. He found parts of the Annabelle in his bayou, and he found Mia Winters. He took her back to the family home and he gave her shelter, but she begged them not to call the authorities and warned them of a 10-year-old girl that could still be out in the bayou. Against her wishes, Jack went out to search for the little girl, eventually finding Evelyn and bringing her back to the family home. He had no idea what he'd done. Jack was immediately infected, and taking the girl back to the home doomed the entirety of the Baker family. Jack, his wife Marguerite, his son Lucas, and daughter Zoe were contaminated with mold within the day. Jack Baker himself actually hunting down his own children to force them into Evelyn's presence. Mia Winters and the Baker family were to be a part of Evelyn's family, that one thing that she wanted the most. Jack and Marguerite in particular were violently affected by Evelyn. Within a matter of weeks, they were entirely consumed by mold, their humanity all but lost. They became rage-fueled, empowered with healing and strength. Marguerite became infested with insects that she could in turn physically incubate and control. Lucas was always problematic, unable to control his anger or understand his own emotion, uncaring towards the well-being of others, and dangerously intelligent, a natural inventor. Now the young man would possess the physical prowess and healing to make him a bioweapon of a wholly lethal sort. But his father would be the absolute juggernaut and enforcer of the family unit. Jack Baker's violence and power made him a tyrant-akin monster once the mold supplanted his humanity. And then the abductions began. After all, Evelyn, she needed a family, a big happy family. Jack and Lucas took people who were less likely to be missed, the homeless, drifters, people who were passing through, tourists even. If Evelyn's powers didn't kill them, then Jack would out of jealousy or Marguerite out of rage. The geographically isolated Baker family became more and more seclusive and withdrawn, making their activities a complete unknown to the wider public. As victims were collected in neighboring population centers, the Baker family ranch became little more than a local spooky story, a part of the mythos rather than a source of the crimes, no doubt thanks to the influences of the connections to keep their bioweapon a safe secret. In January of 2015, about three months after Evelyn's arrival, Lucas Baker was intercepted by the connections. He was treated for and inoculated against Evelyn's telepathic influences, though the mold in his body could not be removed. It was far too late for that. Lucas became an agent of the Connections, an on-the-ground informant, and he assisted them in getting a research lab set up on the Baker Ranch in a nearby derelict salt mine, which he eventually took the lead researcher role in. The intelligence of Lucas Baker, it cannot be overstated, nor can his maliciousness. He set up traps around the estate to toy with any victims that he could trap or fool. He would make his test subjects fight one another, he would do unnecessary autopsies on victims, and carry on in such a way that other researchers on the grounds were repulsed and frightened by him. But Lucas managed to fool Evelyn into thinking that he was still under her control, 
and the intel that he reported back to the connections was invaluable in securing the site and keeping everything going on there a complete secret. As the Bakers settled into their new life, Evelyn eventually backed off from her mind control tactics just a bit. The daughter, Zoe, gained back enough of her senses to leave the main house, to live in a trailer nearby and to have nothing to do with the activities of the family. Her parents berated her for this, but Evelyn herself didn't really seem to care about Zoe, at least once the excitement of the abductions began. The girl's attentions were placed elsewhere. But into the fall of the year 2016, almost two years after Evelyn's arrival, the girl began to deteriorate. She hadn't received any of her stabilizing medication from the connections, so she resumed her rapid aging process. Lucas commented in his messages to the higher-ups at the connections that her skin was getting wrinkly, her hair was going gray, like she was getting old all of a sudden. This did not slow down the kidnappings and murders, however. The exact body count is hard to say, but publicly the number was known to be at least 20, a drop in the bucket given how many bodies and fully molded monstrosities roamed the underbelly of the estate. The number it could easily be in the hundreds. In June of 2017, a three-man crew came to the house. Drawn in by rumors of a family murder and a haunted estate, the trio behind the internet series Sewer Gators believed the Baker's Ranch would be the perfect stage for the next episode of their show. One of them busted down the door, not realizing that Papa Jack Baker was nearby and that he wasn't partial to other men being on his property. Jack killed one of them as soon as he had the opportunity to do so. Mia murdered another one of them while under the control of Evelyn, and the last of them, a man named Clancy Jarvis, was taken as a candidate for Evelyn's mold infection. But in the end, Clancy fell victim to Lucas Baker's sick games. At this point, Evelyn was so aged that she was confined to a wheelchair and unable to communicate verbally. Her control over her environment had to be done telepathically through the Bakers. Mia Winters was locked away in the basement. But in July, the decrepit Evelyn forced Mia to send a message to her husband, Ethan Winters, bidding him to come and find her at the Baker family ranch in Dolby, Louisiana. Ethan had not coped well with the loss of his wife, and when he got that message, he abandoned all common sense and drove to the estate. He did not alert authorities, nor did he investigate the Bakers themselves. He just got up and drove. And what he found there was a run-down, ill-kept, disturbing plot of land that once could have been beautiful, though for three years had fallen to the elements in disrepair. But he does find Mia's driver's license and some of her belongings, which is proof enough that his wife is here. Eventually, he dives through the muck of the house and he actually does find Mia in her holding cell within the basement. She's shocked that he's there. She has no memory of sending him that message and no memory on how she even got there in the first place. But she panics that Jack is nearby, seizing the now desperate opportunity to try and escape with Ethan. But Evelyn has claimed Mia as her mother, and Ethan, well, he could be her father. Of course, she will not allow them to leave. The mostly lucid Mia is removed from the situation probably by Jack Baker himself, allowing Evelyn to exert control over the woman while Ethan stumbles about the guest house. It's not long until the two are reunited, but Mia is not quite herself anymore. Under the control of Evelyn, there's little room for negotiation and Mia will inflict whatever violence the bioweapon commands, even upon her own husband. 
In a brief moment of returned lucidity, Mia tries to incapacitate herself to spare Ethan's life. Unfortunate that Jack Baker locked him in, and Mia doesn't stay down for long, making an all-out fight against her unavoidable. Though even in the throes of a violent attack, little bits of Mia do shine through. She begs of Ethan to just go, to just leave her there, but it's not that easy. He cannot just waltz off the estate. Even if Mia doesn't stop him, there's always a backup to stop him from leaving. And to make this whole affair even worse, Evelyn's mold infection is spread through skin-to-skin -skin contact. When Mia touches her husband, she is guaranteeing his infection. If he happened to make it this far without being exposed, now there is a zero chance that he isn't. Ethan Winters, like the Bakers, will eventually become a being of mold. He's forced to drive an axe into the neck of his wife just for her to vanish, to then receive a phone call from the outcast Zoe Baker, beckoning him to flee through the attic. All he can do really is just stupidly follow instructions. None of this could possibly make any sense to the man. The manipulative tactics of Evelyn being used through Mia confuse Ethan long enough in the lower level of the house to allow Mia to pin him and then to retrieve a chainsaw. Oh baby, you know exactly where this is going. This is the first of Ethan Winter's grievous wounds that the mold will shield him from. Mia herself is able to remove herself from the situation to stop her attack, but this only lasts for as long as it takes Ethan to reach the attic, where once again, he is forced to fight his wife. This time though, both of them are armed with dangerous weaponry, but neither of them will be able to bring the other down, not truly at least. He repeatedly shoots her in the face, and he does stop Mia, but this really, it's only temporary. When Jack Baker appears from the darkness, having stood by for as long as this confrontation has required, he puts Ethan's ability to survive as a newly infected to the test. A massive hit to the face, and then a stomp. Ethan Winters lies clinically dead for several minutes, killed by Jack Baker. Jack hauls Ethan and Mia Winters back to the main family house. Mia has been behaving poorly and must be put away. Ethan, however, must meet the family. Evelyn has requested his presence. Whilst confined to a chair, Zoe sneaks in to staple his hand back onto his arm. It will fuse back together on its own quickly enough. And then it's time for the family feast. Offering of putrid offal and rotted meat, courtesy of Marguerite. The two elders of the family are completely under the control of Evelyn, who sits at the table as well, unannounced and not acknowledged, unrecognizable as a bioweapon in her current form. Lucas, who thinks freely from the control of the E-001, also has a place at the table, an absolute menace and an instigator, as well as a powerful bioweapon. So his father removing his arm at the dinner table is really little more than an aw shucks moment. It'll reattach or grow back. Who knows when it comes to Lucas? Ethan's refusal to consume what is before him leads to a complete meltdown by Marguerite and for Jack to attempt to force feed him. It's the convenient arrival of a nearby parish deputy, David Anderson, that stops the family dinner. Seems that a few months back, three men shooting an internet show went missing and their last known location was near the Baker Ranch. Deputy Anderson would like to ask the family a few questions in regards to these men. Convenient for Ethan, it gives him time to break out of his bindings. Unfortunate for Deputy Anderson, 
because this place is a madhouse of violence. Ethan and the deputy do make contact for a brief moment, with the latter giving Ethan a knife for protection and to aid him in finding his way into the garage. But when the two have a face-to-face, -face, well, Jack takes half of the deputies. And Ethan has himself a good old-fashioned traditional car fight against Papa Jack Baker, which then turns into an impaling fight, which then turns into a fire fight, which then becomes an explosion fight? with the finale being a self-inflicted gunshot to Jack's face. But Jack warned Ethan, this wasn't really the end, of course not. As if his brain going missing could actually stop the patriarch of the family, there's so much more to come. Zoe makes another call to Ethan inside the house. She's out in her own little trailer and desperate to make her escape from this hellhole. But with her family always watching and her mold infection, she needs Ethan Winters to accomplish that. She directs him to find a way out of the house, which is an order that's far easier said than done. This place would give George Trevor and the Oswell Mansion a run for its money. Puzzles, confusing corridors, locked doors, and creatures called molded in the lower levels. They're the failed converts of Evelyn, kidnapping victims who didn't retain their humanity once infected. They're living, walking, pulsating mold, though they're not unkillable, thankfully. Ethan eventually finds a tape left by his wife made after their little chainsaw pistol fight in the guest house. She's as fine as she can be given the circumstances, and she tries to begin an explanation for what's going on. But the matriarch, Marguerite, has tracked her down. Ethan's foremost concern is his wife, and the contents of this tape are distressing. The apparition of the young Evelyn is appearing on tape, taunting and haunting Mia. And Marguerite herself corners the frightened woman underneath the house, dragging her away. But before Ethan can even leave the main house, he has to retrieve various items hidden around the building. One of them being in the possession of a reformed Jack Baker himself, who's really pulled himself together since the whole garage debacle. His lurking about the house will remain a threat to Mr. Winters, at least until Jack goes full scissor man chainsaw mode in the underbelly of the house. And a chainsaw versus chainsaw spectacle begins. Though this time around, Jack really is not fooling about. But that's not to say he isn't thrilled to be here. He's a big bundle of laughs, the kind that almost makes one think that maybe he's mocking Ethan. But Mr. Winters claims victory this round. No small part thanks to his own ability to take a direct hit from a chainsaw as well now. His greatest advantage being the ability to think clearly. With everything needed to open the front door, Ethan's next stop is Zoe's trailer, but Zoe herself isn't there. She's out seeing to other affairs, but informs Ethan of the whole contamination issue, sort of. Zoe knows of a serum that can be made with reagents on the property, one of them her mother obsessively took custody of after the hurricane that brought Evelyn into their lives. A D-series bioweapon mummified arm. So long as they're contaminated with the mold, Evelyn will be able to find them and control them, and anyone they come into physical contact with in the outside world can also be contaminated by it. Zoe sends Ethan into the old house where Mia was taken, where Marguerite roams, and where that D-series arm is being held. Inevitably, Ethan does have to deal with Marguerite. While not as outright physically powerful like her husband, Marguerite has a swarm of tricks at her disposal to handle him and high mobility to make her difficult to track. One of the few things that can stop her approach is constant and direct fire, though eventually enough bullets could achieve the same stopping power. She is the first of the family to truly die 
calcifying and wasting away, unable to heal through the damage done to her entire body. Taking Marguerite's lantern gives Ethan access to the weird child's play area, where the D-series arm is attached to a strange, skin-covered doll created by Marguerite. And now, Evelyn is beginning to directly target and interact with Ethan, a display of her influence growing over him and the mold inside him becoming stronger, if not stopped. Evelyn will have Ethan in her grasp within a day. Back at Zoe's trailer, the phone rings once again, but it is not Zoe on the other end. It's Lucas. He wants to play now. He has Mia and Zoe both locked up and the rest of the D-series parts to create a serum, which gives him all the power in this situation. Ethan has to play along. It takes him to a good old barn fight with the fat man mold monster, which is actually quite charming. Kind of reminds me of home. And then into an escape room from hell with very real consequences for playing by the rules. It's sort of a hobby of Lucas's. Make traps and puzzles that can't be beaten and really toy with anyone unlucky enough to get caught in one. And when Ethan does circumvent the rules and break the sequence of the escape room, Lucas has a meltdown and flees the area, leaving behind the case containing the remainder of the D-series reagents to create two doses of the serum. The plan is for Zoe to get one and Mia the other, not taking into account that Ethan is also infected, but perhaps Mia isn't privy enough on the nature of the mold to realize that her husband is contaminated as well. And this really isn't a terrible plan. Treat the two women and flee the property. Until Jack Baker once again rears his now wholly malformed ugly head into the situation, pulling Ethan into one more fight to the death. Jack is aware that his Marguerite is dead, and even now mourns her passing and is intent on killing Ethan for what he's done to his family. Of the two doses of the serum that the party possesses, it's too bad that Jack will require one to stop his attack. He's so far into infection at this point that curing him will cause his entire body to calcify and fall apart. Finally, Jack Baker meets his end, at least physically for now. Zoe and the Winters will no longer have to contend with the monolith, but that leaves the problem of the one remaining dose who gets it, Zoe or Mia. Of course, Ethan came all this way and held out hope for three years that his wife would come back somehow. The dose will go to Mia, to the absolute dismay of Zoe Baker, who orders them to just leave. Evelyn will never allow her off this property. She may not leave. And as Mia and Ethan finally make it out into a small boat. Evelyn punishes Zoe for her insolence, calcifying her but not killing her. Here, Zoe will remain until another from the Baker family arrives to find her and save her. Ethan and Mia make it as far as some of the wreckage of the Annabelle before Evelyn finds and stops them. But when the water settles, it is Ethan that Evelyn takes, integrating into the mold and removing him from Mia's presence. It's now up to her to seek out her spouse, to find him in the wreckage of the Annabelle, where the visage of Evelyn is roaming to taunt and torment Mia, to try and force her back into compliance, trying to make her remember everything that took place, eventually succeeding in this endeavor. But Mia rejects the girl's requests to act as the mother that Evelyn always so dearly wanted. It will just take some time, but eventually Evelyn will be able to crawl her way back into Mia's mind, even if just temporarily. She finds Ethan entwined in mold within the ship, 
where within the living consciousness of the Mutamycete, the Bakers still linger on. Jack Baker, or whatever remains of him, makes contact with Ethan, trying to explain what happened to his family, why they've done the things that they have. He tells Ethan that he needs to find Evelyn, the real Evelyn, and put a stop to her. That's the only way that this madness taking place can come to an end. And when Ethan awakens, being pulled out of the mold by his wife, she echoes the same thing. Mia gives him a sample of Evelyn's tissue and sends him away, returning to the clutches of Evelyn for a while. She's giving him an opening to return to the Baker Ranch, while Evelyn concentrates on her much-desired mother. The Baker Farm has become an uncontrollable mess with the arrival of Ethan Winters. Therefore, leadership has ordered a complete withdrawal of any personnel still within the area. We've gotten word that Blue Umbrella knows of the E-001's location and has contacted the Bioterrorism Security Assessment Alliance to coordinate a raid on the property. Their arrival is imminent. Electronics still on the network will be remotely destroyed and are scrubbed as much as possible, but the BSAA will certainly find sensitive documentation within the salt mine that will lead back to us. And to top it off, we've lost contact with Lucas Baker. This is a disaster. His route back takes him through the old labs of the Connections, where evidence of Lucas's involvement in the events and precisely what this E-type weapon is was left in the chaos of mass murder and mold infections, and where a kit to make an E-necrotoxin is still located, exactly what he will need to handle this bioweapon. Over the radio, there's chatter of a cavalry arriving and of Lucas Baker being nearby in one of the salt mines. Ethan, however, heads straight to the Baker family home, back to the underground where he and Mia fled their confinement earlier in the evening. Evelyn commences an assault on his mind, putting whatever barriers in his way that she can. Her aged body is vulnerable and she doesn't yet have full control over the man. But he does find the center of her projection and he injects the E-001 herself with the E-necrotoxin. But it's not going to be that simple. It's never that simple, is it? In a final hurrah, a final lashing out in rage, the out-of-control weapon begins to rapidly increase her mass and attacks. The calcification of her rapidly growing body is too slow to stop her in her tracks, but the lumbering beast has caught the eye of a group descending upon the area. Oh my, look who it is. It's the BSAA. And they have just the ammo type to handle a fungal infection rapid-acting mycetotoxic rounds. An old friend of ours contacts Ethan and orders him to shoot the damn thing into Evelyn. The ramrod is able to stop her regeneration and growth long enough for the E-necrotoxin to kill Evelyn. An older, more hardened Chris Redfield has led this foray into mold territory. At this point, he's seen so many types of bioweapons that little can faze him. The BSAA retrieves Mia and Ethan, but that's not quite the end. The Baker Ranch must be quarantined, the Baker children must be found, and a cover-up must begin. Under the command of Chris Redfield, BSAA agents eventually find a still-calcified Zoe Baker several weeks later, as does her uncle, Joe Baker. And Joe is unwilling to just leave her in their custody. A BSAA agent tells him that there's a cure for what's happened to her, and Uncle Joe will do anything to see she gets a full dose. A terrible, shambling version of his brother, Jack Baker, is stalking the bayou, for now only known as the Swamp Man. The revelation that this is what has become of his brother shocks and devastates Joe, 
But when the Swamp Man takes Zoe, Joe vows to do whatever it takes to see her saved and cured. And he does, though it may pain him to do so. Joe Baker fights hordes of molded for his niece, and he puts his brother Jack to rest in a final showdown. The BSAA is able to recover from the attacks and to cure Zoe Baker. She will be taken into custody, quarantined, but eventually released. Her brother Lucas, however, will not be so fortunate. He has been in contact with an unknown source, trying to arrange extraction, trying to send data about the Mutamycete and Evelyn. But while Lucas Baker is many devious things and wildly unpredictable, he is not the nigh-unkillable beast that his father proved to be or the sinister combatant that his mother was. Chris Redfield finds Lucas, provokes a wild mutation after delivering an otherwise fatal blow to him, and is ultimately killed on his family's property. His data transmission is halted, and evidence of his deeds will be concealed, along with all other information on the events that took place here. In the aftermath of all this, the BSAA took great measures to cover up everything that happened on the Baker Ranch. The death of the family was attributed to a hydrogen sulfide leak, and the entirety of the area was sealed off to prevent curious onlookers from descending upon the destroyed ranch. Posts on social media and armchair detectives smelled a conspiracy at play, but the cover-up was extremely effective. Zoe Baker was included in the victim count, but eventually she was issued a new identity and allowed to live a new life. The Winters went into protective custody and were relocated to Europe to protect them from the connections who were almost certainly intent on searching for them. Mia kept her husband's mold infection a secret. If the BSAA, or anyone for that matter, found out, he would never get to live a normal life. Quite soon after their relocation, the two had a baby a girl that they named Rosemary, a child born of a mutamycy immune mother and a father practically made out of mold. Little Rosemary was quite special indeed. Mia Winters was able to find out that Zoe Baker was alive and sent her a letter detailing a bit about their new lives and the birth of Rosemary, much to the joy of Zoe. She had tried to search for answers as to what happened to her family after her release from BSAA custody, but she never really found closure. Knowing that Mia and Ethan had made it out helped in that process. But Chris Redfield, ooh, he was absolutely incensed at the cover-up the BSAA did in regards to the Dolby incident and their handling of information in regards to the mold there. The BSAA had known of Evelyn's existence before the bioweapon was even put on the Annabelle for relocation, but had failed to stop what the connections was doing. It wasn't until the bioweapon watchdog, Blue Umbrella, contacted the BSAA when the situation could no longer be avoided, that action was taken and information was shared, and their failure three years ago was covered up. After Dolby, there were no answers forthcoming, no investigation into the mysterious organization behind the Mutamycete and Chris Redfield was unwilling to just let the matter drop. Eventually, he went rogue, and he took the Hound Wolf squad with him, a small team of nigh perfectly trained soldiers who were absolutely ruthless in their pursuit of information in regards to the mold and its origins. And they would find answers in the year 2021 in Europe. <laughs>